Blog Talk Radio. China took over. Greetings, greetings, welcome, welcome. Come on in. Another digital revolutionary. New Orleans, we All the
Revelations and Manifestation. You are now sitting live with the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oluye, Hudu Obeya Okur, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective, understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing, if you can just see beyond the veil, for it is all just an illusion and a test of one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is indeed my constant prayer, my mantra, my affirmation and reverberation. It is my reiteration. And it is my ever-living reality. All of the blessing is crucial to the very foundation of my inner standing, my being, my walk, my work, my demonstration along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I, the divine prince, make sense out of all that we're challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother Father Earth. And it is my personal place of power and understanding, the place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine all-blessed reality. And so it is. Ashe, Asheo, Ashe. I greet you this Monday. April 26, 2021, live. And, of course, my cousin is also here with me to co-host Chief Priest Baba Awo, Oloye Ifawole, Oladeji Ifantade, Chief Priest of the Ile Isheshe Oladeji Inner Consciousness Spiritual Center in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And we encourage your support and your participation, indeed, for this very important broadcast. I had a number of reasons for wanting to address mental health today, and particularly from the perspective of men's mental health. And I want to start by sharing some things that are, that are happening, that are, that are going on here, here in the city of New Orleans. Um, I didn't want to make a big deal about it. I didn't want to sort of broadcast it and, and uh, sort of start a trend, if you will. But we're finding some oddities in our community. First, Congo Square. Dead carcasses, dead animals at our ancestor tree. We didn't invite this. We didn't ask for this. We don't support this. And, indeed, we've just been going and cleaning it up and re-cleansing the space and, and moving forward. 
But now I'm finding footprints at Tomb of the Unknown Slave, also in my community. And someone uh, attempted to remove the uh, slave chain cross from the Tomb of the Unknown Slave. They may, may have very well been unsuccessful. Uh, when I got there, along with one of our, our beautiful guests in the chat, the cross was lying on the ground. So I tried to reposition it, stand it up, see if there was any way I could sort of sure it up, and I was unable to do so. So we're going to correct that today. But let's be clear. I'm not the only spiritual practitioner in this community. I'm not the only voodoo priest in this community. I'm not the only religious figure in this community. I'm not the only activist in this community that's keeping a close eye on what's sacred to us. It was shared to me that this is an ongoing thing, quite possibly, right now. Throughout the country, churches being desecrated, black historical sites being, being desecrated, and, of course, at this point, we don't know who just yet. We don't know what just yet, but we aim to stop it. We aim to put it into it. This is not the community for you to tiptoe around in. This ain't the community. And we've noticed a pattern, particularly around the full moon, when these activities seem to sort of show up in our community. Move on. Move away, but tread lightly in Treme. Tread lightly in New Orleans. And this is a, a bit of an extension of sort of what I was confronted with Saturday. Listen, I understand this is a tourist town. People like to vacation. People like to come and, and have a great time. People like to come and be curious and explore. The voodoo is not a curiosity. My temple is not a tourist spot. Indeed, real work is going on here, real work. And the idea that you could just randomly catch me at the door, is, it's, it's great. But if you don't have an appointment, if you haven't secured a spot, it's the height of disrespect to then take that to a whole nother level. And as some of you have seen the video. You already know what I'm talking about the little hateful, nasty, ugly, you know, response that, that, that I received in my email box. And so far, things have been quiet since Saturday. But if, if they want to push the issue, I, I will post the document if, if they choose to push this issue. But we have got to show some degree of respect. That's why I make such a big deal about the Orisha romance. That's why I make such a big deal about the black witches. And, and, and this is going to lead into today's mental health topic. When we think about black revolutionary movements, black revolutionary leaders, um, as far back in, in history as, as we can remember, we never had a narrow view of what liberation was or should look like. It's more than just political liberation. It's more than just judicial liberation. It's more than just financial liberation. And, and indeed, without 
Ori, which I'm sure my cousin's going to talk to today, and, and, and a healthy sense of well-being, inner standing, and consciousness, none of those things are going to carry us very far. I'm old enough to remember the Black Party, the Black Panther Party, and their free medical clinics. Uh, they opened up right around 1969, the year my baby sister was born, uh, and, and that closed right around 1975. In 1966, the year I was born, Huey Newton and Bobby Seale created the Black Panther Party to fight police oppression of blacks in Oklahoma. I'm sorry, in Oakland, California. Sounds familiar to today. Police oppression, police lynchings. And two years later, the Black Panther Party started the People's Free Medical Clinic. They didn't jump right into let's, let's do politics. They didn't jump right into let's do economics. But they understood that there was a, a wholeness that had to happen on every level of our freedom, of our liberation, of our advancement, to include medical health care. Two years after the Black Panther Party started, people's free medical clinics, because of systematic discrimination against blacks in hospitals and private medical practices. The 1965 Medicare and Medicaid Act made it illegal to provide racial and ethnic minority services that were being funded by the federal government. So the federal government couldn't fund a hospital or a clinic or a medical practice that excluded racial and ethnic minorities. However, that regulation was not enforced. And most blacks still received medical services from poorly funded public hospitals and clinics. So in 1968, the Black Panther Party chapters in Kansas City, Chicago, Seattle, established the first people's free medical clinic. There was one right in my mother's mother's community, Kirkwood, Missouri. Some of you all remember Meacham Park. The whole footprint of, of Meacham Park has been wiped off the, off the map and removed. It's an industrial park now and sits, a, and sits across the street from a, from a shopping mall. But it was once one of the early historic black communities in, in the Kirkwood, St. Louis, Missouri area. These services were an alternative to President Lyndon Johnson's great Society Community Health Centers. Ten additional clinics were opened in 1970 when the Black Panther Party required that all chapters establish people's free medical clinics. Each local chapter was responsible for raising funds for its clinic from local businesses, churches, and healthcare professionals. Trusted volunteer professionals staffed the free clinics. These professionals included physicians, nurses, um, pharmacists, lab technicians, medical students, who also trained community members to staff the clinics as lab technicians, patient advocates, and community health workers. The People's Free Medical Clinics primarily provided first aid and basic services such as childhood vaccinations and screenings for high blood pressure, lead poisoning, tuberculosis, 
and diabetes. In 1971, the People's, uh, the People's Free Medical Clinic began community education and screening for sickle cell anemia, a genetic disease mainly affecting people of African ancestry. And although sickle cell anemia was identified in 1910, there was very little public attention and funding. The Black Panther Party provided its own national screening program through these clinics. In fact, the party's widespread community education about sickle cell anemia and the government's neglect of the disease caused the U.S. Congress to pass the National Sickle Cell Anemia Control Act in 1972. The act created national genetic counseling, testing, and research to diagnose and treat sickle cell anemia. Unfortunately, the People's Free Medical Clinics um, were often harassed by city health inspectors, subjected to police raids, and had difficulty maintaining consistent volunteer medical staff. These multiple problems led to the gradual closure of all of the clinics, except for Seattle's clinic. Elmer Dixon, co-founder of Seattle Chapter, secured federal funding so the clinic could continue as a freestanding clinic. And in 1978, the clinic reopened as the Carolyn Downs Family Medical Center, named for a dedicated Panther community organizer. The clinic is the only one of the 13 people's free medical clinics established by um, the Black Panther Party during this 1969 to to 1975 um, year time period. Except for sickle cell anemia, mainstream media and Academia have paid little attention to the contributions of the People's Free Medical Clinics until Alondra Nelson's 2011 book, Body and Soul, The Black Panther Party and the Fight Against Medical Discrimination, documented the full history and legacy of the Black Panther Party's health activism. Her book led to the American Journal of Public Health in 2016 to devote an entire issue to the public health legacy of the people's free medical clinics. This legacy is especially important now. The disproportional infection and death rate among blacks and Latinos during the COVID-19 pandemic, the police killing of George Floyd and other blacks are raising public recognition that institutional racism is America's biggest public health crisis. And we cannot continue to deny or overlook the the notion of PTSD, post-traumatic slave disorder, but also the mental health implications of what we continue to endure each and every day, being Black in America, being Asian in America, being Latino in America, uh, under these these oppressive conditions. And I want to particularly speak to that of mental health as it relates to men in particular. 
we, we live in a, a we, we have a new phraseology, toxic masculinity. Me, me and my cousin briefly talked about that yesterday. And, and, and we tend to overfocus, which is why I started with the Black Panther Party medical clinics. We tend to overfocus just on the politics, just on the finances, just on the housing, particularly when it comes to our communities. We still don't like to discuss, talk about, look at, even consider mental health. I've been told, you know, over the years by a few people in our community that I should stop talking about mental health, that even the discussion of mental health is somehow Eurocentric, which it is not. There is no fa, there is no ifa, there is no voodoo without nature. And there's no way to look at and apply nature without considering mental health, mental wellness, consciousness. I was watching um, one of my favorite people, <laughs> the beloved Iyanla Van Zant, uh, over the weekend. And I believe she's no longer airing Fix My Life. So they're showing, you know, a, a lot of the repeats, what, what's already been aired. And I was watching her baking ceremony. Some of you among my audience knows what I'm talking about. She had the woman wrapped up in white, lying down on the floor, and then there were women dressed in white who had their feet pushed up next to her. And a a healing practice began, a healing ritual began. And what became really clear to me in that moment is that don't exist for men and particularly black men. There is nowhere we can point to where black men are indeed held up, supported, encouraged to address emotional, mental, spiritual well-being. We're still taught the Eurocentric toxic masculinity uh, characteristics. Be warrior-like, aggressive, we don't talk things out. We, we, we handle things with our hands. And, and then we're worried and upset and worked up about the, the violence in our community, the inability of our young people to work out differences and conflicts without immediately going to sort of the violent reaction. And I dare say that that toxic masculinity doesn't just affect men but it also affects the women in our community to a degree that some of our women believe they have to ratchet it up. They have to be male-like to address a conflict. I like when Iyanla Van Sant says, go into your heart, black woman. Go into your soul, black woman, to reach your boy child, your, your, your husband, your, your male partner. But that same Advice is not offered to black men anywhere, not even in the places where we expect healing to take place. The church. The church. How many of you have ever heard, seen, experienced discussion of mental, emotional well-being of men in your religious communities, in your environment. Some of you know my story. I was on the street at 14. I was on the street at 15, 16, 17, 18. Oh, I could go to 
Salvation Army. I could go to Catholic Charities. I, I could go to the church who, you know, fed people in, in the park, you know, on Saturday. But there was no structure, no organization, no foundation for my spiritual, mental well-being. And, and, and that's one of the things that brought me into HGR, that brought me into voodoo. So I want to open up the discussion today, and I, and I invite everyone to participate. And, and greetings to everyone. Beloved Orisha, thank you so much for coming to see me. Uh, I'm sorry, not Orisha, uh, Goddess Initiative, thank you so much for coming to see me. Thank you, uh, Orisha, for being present. Thank you, Tasha, Touch, welcome, beloved. Divine self-healing, greetings, beloved. Kevin Brooks, thank you so much for your participation. I say to you as well. Um, I hear you, Kevin, doing that homework and that research. Greetings, Nita Lloyd, welcome, welcome. Oh, for those locals, my, my local New Orleans, and, and I'm sure we could point to Chirac, we could point to East St. Louis, we could point to Compton and, and Inglewood. You all understand that we're not being given the, the tools, particularly men, to come together and, and heal our shadow work and heal that emotional scarring that, that has taken place over the decades, over the, over the generations. Uh, greeting, Dark Soul Jua. Come on in. Neophyte Bokur, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your support. Of course, I appreciate you, cousin, for being with me. Um, I know it's a lot to be here every day at noon, uh, but I appreciate you, and I'm sure you have a lot to offer. Um, my cousin has actually been doing a workshop um, about this very topic, so I believe he would be... Uh, really uh, able to, to offer some, some information and, and dialogue that can be useful to everyone um, in the chat, male or female. So greetings, beloved, Alafia. Alafia. <clears throat> Blessings to everyone. I hope everybody is well today. Today is a very important topic in our community. You know, uh, I think my cousin has mentioned, and I, I mention it all the time, that Mental health is a very, is a subject in our community that we don't really like to talk about, but it's essential because there are so many different factors of mental health that affect our people, that affect our community, and the trauma that we faced over the many years, both generationally, individually, even today. So going into this mental health, uh, issue today, especially the mental health issue for men, in everything that we have to deal with on an everyday basis uh, is essential, and hopefully it will bless somebody to be able to understand that there's nothing wrong with working on our mental health, that mental health work is, is, is very, very important, it's essential, and in our tradition of Ifa, it's done every single day. So, in, uh, I'll share with you from a couple of different perspectives. One perspective is I've worked in the mental health field for uh, between 15 and 20 years. And I've primarily worked with youth, 
But still, the mental health issues, catching it from an early stage, you know, is, is difficult sometimes in working with the youth uh, in, in, in their mental health. So, um, basically, dealing with mental health. There's a couple of different ways that we can look at mental health. We can look at mental health, one, from the clinical standpoint, and then we're going to take a look at it <clears throat> from uh, the other standpoint, which might be more of the, the spiritual standpoint. You know, on a on the standpoint of of um, from the standpoint of the the physical, the the clinical health, we have to look at the factors that go along with the clinical side of things. Uh, the clinical side of things, anywhere from the imbalances, being born with particular imbalances, maybe because the parents uh, themselves were doing drugs or maybe because of their alcoholism and that uh, transmitted into, even before birth, into the child. So we have to look at the chemical imbalances. We have to look at... um, in that the emotional, the mental, even the physical side of this topic. When I like to talk about this topic, I like to talk about it in a very holistic perspective, a holistic standpoint. Holistic in that we have to look at the ramifications physically, mentally, emotionally, and then spiritually, of course. From a physical standpoint, there are a lot of factors that we have to look at when we deal with mental health. When we look at a person in their mental uh, health challenges, and a lot of times in working in the field, you have two sides of the of the equation. One side we call as the step with the therapist, uh, and then the other side uh, we call like what we say program program would be those who are working direct care, those who might be on the floor uh, working with the kids or working with adults every single day in a large uh, uh, different ways, every day teaching them or sharing with them different ways of living, different ways of taking care of themselves, how to handle uh, the behavior management, how to handle the different things in their life that they're struggling with. And then on the clinical side, you have that side, which is working on what do we do clinically uh, in therapy sessions, uh, maybe in adjusting different medication, in behavior management. And then if we can, if both sides are working closely together, then both sides then will begin to bring forth the benefit to the people that they are working with. So we're looking at it both from a clinical standpoint, and then we look at it from a program standpoint, and then in both of the combinations, every day there was the clinical side in meetings with the program side saying, with this particular person, we need to deal with these factors. What factors might they be? It might be the factors of their growing up. In working with kids, I worked with kids that were taken from their houses uh, because of the behaviors, 
and, and the safety factors that came from the adults in their life. So therefore, not just did we have the emotional challenges and struggles and things that went along with the kids, but we also had the the uh, the the things that went along with their, their families as well, their backgrounds, their histories, what they had to see, what they had to endure from anywhere from a child that's been locked in a closet to a child that's been physically abused to a child that's been mentally abused to a child that's been sexually abused. Every single aspect of these equations then went into some of the challenges that they faced in their behaviors, even in their eating, in the various uh, uh, hygiene habits, all of the above. And when we look a lot of times at people that have mental health challenges, we sometimes don't look at those other factors, and thus, in our mind, we're not showing grace to those who might be dealing with these, these factors that we don't know about. So when we have the meetings, or when we had the meetings, the meetings would say, you have to then look at this kid had a family, he was, he was mentally abused, he was sexually abused. And now we have to deal with an individual uh, uh, program or methodology that will allow for that particular individual to go through things that are necessary for healing. So now we have to look at the people today that are going through a lot of the mental, emotional challenges. And we have to look at factors or, or realize that there might be factors that we are not even knowledgeable about within the life of that person. So when we're watching them and they're going through maybe emotional breakdowns, then, you know, we have to be able to, uh, those of us that have worked in the field, we know, one, we have to show patience. If you want to be able to communicate with a person at the apex of their challenge, we know maybe that's not the right time and we have to just sit there and be patient and allow a person to kind of be able to taper it down so we can communicate with it uh, better. You know, a lot of people today, it's a challenge because people are talking about, uh, they, they watch every day the challenges of people with mental health. And because other people don't understand them, here they are getting in situations maybe with law enforcement where law enforcement doesn't have the the uh, necessary tools and understanding to deal with situations and de-escalate situations. I watched a, uh, something yesterday. I, I cannot remember the young man's name, but it showed everything from him going into the store. And this was before a pre-mask time. He was wearing a mask. Somebody called the cops, told the cops this guy looks uh, suspicious. He's walking from the store, paid for the stuff in the store, did everything right, wasn't doing anything wrong. He just had some emotional challenges. He walked, started walking down the street towards home. He was stopped by the cops. And because the cops didn't have the tools to even kind of put in their own mind, this person could have some emotional issues. 
they're doing what they do as cops without the thought of how do I de-escalate somebody with a possible mental issue. So therefore, was, the situation got to a bad place, and they laid hands on him, and now the, the young man was in the hospital for a period of We have to do better in understanding and working with people that have mental health challenges and struggles. So, anyway, we start off every day. And we've talked about Ori before, but let's look at Ori in the manifestation of mental health. Working with Ori every day is an essential aspect of the Ifa tradition. In working with the cops, and I mean not working with the cops, I just saw my cousin's thing pop up. In working with our Ori, our Ori gives us the opportunity to bring clarity, to bring ease, to bring illumination in many different aspects of our life. Our Ori, we say, is our first God. Our Ori is that which we were born with, the most important Orisha. It is our Orisha. It is the Orisha that we came from Olorun, or heaven, down to earth with. And it is the first Orisha we work with before any other Orisha. We work with our Ori. What do we do? When we're getting up in the morning and we're putting our hands on our head and we're doing the prayers, we're asking the brain clarity. First, we're giving honor to the Creator for another day's journey, another day in life, another opportunity to be blessed, to be a blessing to others, as well as to move forward in our life in alignment with the destiny that we've come here to fulfill. Then, as we go through, there are different maybe items that we place to our ORE or put on to our ORE or even ingest that will allow for that in our mind to be in alignment with what that uh, particular offering is uh, uh, means. Or if we look at some of the basic offerings and we look at maybe water, everybody has water. Water is that which brings coolness. Water is that which brings clarity. Water is that which is that essential aspect of our health. Mm-hmm. Much part, was it, 80%, 90% of our body is water. So we ingest the water. And we may even pray into the water. We pray into the water so that when we're ingesting the water, in essence, we're ingesting that which we are praying to manifest. We can look at coconuts. Coconuts then bring uh, a coolness, very much a coolness thing. And we, we can use that. We can ingest that. We can put that on our head. We can use honey and ask that the honey, as we ingest it, we put it on our OE that manifests the sweetness of life. Sweetness even in the times of bitterness. Sweetness even in the times that we see nothing but challenges and struggles and and, and everything in our life. The gym to bring good things to life. Those are just some examples of what we use to place on our ori or to ingest so that we can manifest what we're praying about. So when we're looking at ori and we're looking at mental health, Mental health, if not born with these challenges, if not born with the challenges, because if you're born with the challenges, then sometimes it takes a combination of Western perspective 
for the medicine to get the balance, uh, to get the, the chemicals to balance out, uh, as well as from a holistic standpoint, uh, eating, our physical health, eating. What are we eating? What are we putting into our body? We say our health is our wealth. What are we putting into our body? Are we putting nothing but processed foods and junk? When we take a look at, at our elders and our ancestors, we're looking at people that went to the store and they wasn't buying all the time just some, some canned stuff. They were growing, they were getting the fresh vegetables, and they were making fresh vegetables for their families every day. There was a lot, of, a lot less of health issues. There was a lot less of them making processed food. The food was fresh. Even though it took some time, of course, we were in a different, a different time economically. But we're looking at what was done back then that allowed us to be in a better health condition. Now, when we look at our health, we're looking at these challenges, not just on the mental side because we're not eating well, but we're looking at the challenges in our mental health and our emotional health from that which we're intaking, not just from food, but from mental what are we looking at on TV? What are we looking at when we walk down the street every day? What are we looking at when we're watching the news and every day we're facing the challenges of the possibility of, of, of another black man being shot down unarmed? What does that put into our elite? So that, that brings us to triggers, right? I know I'm kind of shooting around. It brings us to triggers, and I'll get back to that in a little while. Let's go back to the food. When we're dealing with food, we're dealing with the need for proper diet. Today, we also have the other things. We, a lot of people follow Dr. Sebi with the uh, alkaline diet, and that's an awesome diet to follow. It's changed my health, it's, it's especially with the CMOS, and, and it, it, sometimes we, we actually feel better before we see better. So we have to now look at what it is that we are taking in that will allow us to now have the nutrients in our body that will allow for uh, healing. We have to then look at the emotional. We have to look at what things are we intaking emotionally? How is it affecting us as black men? when we're seeing other black men all the damn time that are getting them that are getting killed for, for, and, and unarmed. And we're, then we're seeing on the other side where people of other cultures are, are in worse scenarios than our black men. And they are getting shown this level of grace with, with the police, with law enforcement and everybody else. But the same situation could happen to a black man, and a black man getting himself killed. What do we see? How are we intaking that emotionally? We have to look at that in regard to our health, because it is intaking into us, just like we are intaking food. We're digesting, we're ingesting the emotional side of what it is that we are seeing and, and feeling every day. And a lot of times because we are feeling these things every day, it becomes numb to us. And we don't even realize that these things begin to affect us back again to the physical side. 
Let's look at this from a black man's perspective and the struggles that many black men have. Black men have the problems with prostate. How? Why? Yeah, the black man has problems with blood pressure. Many people in our African community have the problems with blood pressure. We have the problems with bladder issues because the prostate and the bladder and how they work together, you can have enlarged prostate and it affects the bladder issues as well. So now here we are, and now the emotional side of things, what we're ingesting emotionally every day, how we're feeling having to go out of our house. And just like the Jahim song, when he talks about just in case I don't make it home tonight, every single day, every single time that we step out the house, we might not acknowledge it, but we know that at any particular time, anything can happen, and we can have a cop on a bad day, and a situation happens and, and, and escalates when it never could uh, uh, should have done that. So ingesting, what are we ingesting? And how are we dealing with it when we ingest it? What ramifications on our physical self are we dealing with when we ingest these things on a daily basis? So I know I've talked a whole bunch, so you, let me get back to my cousin. Yeah, that, that, was, that was great. Um, I definitely want to give Chef Luji and our phone caller an opportunity to participate. So Chef Luji, if you give me just another minute, I'm going to open the phone line for area code 901. I think that's a Tennessee zip code. Greetings, beloved. Who's calling and where are you calling from? 901, did you have a question or a comment? Okay, maybe they're just listening. Uh, Chef Bougie, go ahead, please. Hi, how are you guys doing today? All of you listening, welcome. I'm honored to finally see your face. Great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I listen to what you guys are saying, and it's, it's right on point. And I think a lot of problems. Uh, had to do with um, the destruction of the black family. I, I remember a time when uh, all the black men in the community pretty much had a camaraderie. We were from the same place. We all spoke to each other. When we walked down the street, you remember when another black man saw another, we, we did the nod. Yeah. And when we had an opportunity to talk, we talked and we discussed things about family, work, uh, politics, everything. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, it's it's for dominated to talk at the barber shop. Mm-hmm. Now that's gone. Mm-hmm. When the system came in and told the man, "Okay, we'll give you welfare if you put that man out the house, or he can't stay there." There's a balance that has to take place. A man and woman both raise the children. Mm-hmm. A lot of these young boys right now, they don't know how to cope with regular things because, first of all, they don't know how to fight. First of all, we fought all the time. But we also made up. We went about our business. We respected each other because of that. Now, they shoot you first because they have no clue what it is to get up in your face. They'd rather shoot you. There's nothing personal with that. They can shoot and run. And you see the changes in the whole society, when it comes to men treating women like they're supposed to treat them, they don't. 
They're disrespectful. And it's very hard to cope with. And now I see young boys that come up and say, what's happening, old head? Old head. And I'm looking at them and old head. I would never talk to an elder like that in the street. Everybody on that street that was older than me would deal with me if I did something like that. Mm-hmm. And those things have just affected everything. And you can see it. Mm-hmm. You can just see it. There's a total lack of respect for everything and everybody, especially black. And, and the thing that I got that was most important when I was a kid coming up, my father let me know who I was, what I was, and what was expected of me. And he didn't take anything less than that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that education that he gave me was, was, was fantastic. It was everything that I needed. And I, I gave the same thing to my son. My son now is a young man, three kids, wife doing what he has to do. And I see a lot of young men that I encounter every day. When I talk to them, I can see in their eyes that they want as much help as they can get. But sometimes what I'm saying to them is, is foreign. They don't understand. Treat that woman first. Put yourself on the back burner and take care of your woman and your kids. Take care of that first. A lot of them like, no, it's about me. I'm going to take care of me. Get out with everybody else. That mentality we've got to lose. Yeah. And I like how, to and I like how you said, you know, especially in Chicago, um, you would get dissed if you didn't speak. You 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 would dare pass a group of black men back in the seventies and not speak and, and not acknowledge their presence. Now, you know, and, and, and COINTEL probably pays a role in it. Now we're scared to speak. We're scared to look at each other. You know, everybody's looking a different direction. No, no one wants to risk an, an encounter. Um, I also want to give uh, Eric code 901. Are you with me now? Eric code, call Eric code 901. On my phone line, Eric code 901. Did you have a question or comment? Okay, I'm going to assume you're just, you're just listening. Okay, and, and that's good. But yeah, that was that was expected. It was expected that you acknowledged other men. It was expected that you acknowledged other people. It was expected that you acknowledged elders. It was expected that you acknowledged children. You know, there was no way a child could have been violated on the block with us all out in the street back in the day. That that would not have happened. It would not have been allowed. And so, um, just as the government broke up the Black Panther Party and their their uh, medical centers, you know, that would have offered this service to us, I think there are still active forces today that would rather see us divided than coming together, that would rather see us angry and, and you know, on alert for war rather than to see us in a space where we can heal ourselves and then heal our families because that healing then radiates out into the rest of the community. Then your families are healed. Then, then your partners are healed. You know, then every child in the community is healed. If the black man is allowed, you know, that amount of space just to heal and recover. We haven't had a, a moment to heal and recover since the beginning of enslavement, as, as far as I'm concerned. We haven't had a moment to catch our breath. We haven't had a moment to sort of, you know, recuperate 
we've gone from one bad scenario to the next. Um, and cousin, I heard you describing, um, you know, the latest police shooting. Uh, and, and I think you you were referencing maybe the Carolinas. I, I could be wrong. Uh, the young man had his hair up in in, a, in sort of a bun in the picture. And no, it was different. He had his face covered, and he had went to a store, and he came out the store, and somebody called police on him. And, and I really I just can't remember his name. I just watched it yesterday in preparation for today, and and. I looked at this whole. I looked at the whole thing. They showed it from the time that he walked out the store. They didn't have it the whole way across on his on his walk, but they had it then when the cops approached him. And we watched when the cops approached people. They're not thinking possibility uh, or like a diverse possibility of of mental health. They're automatically placing black men in the thing of criminals. So then their mindset then goes into a complete mindset of the of black men because we're looking at this situation when a cop comes to us, we already have it in our brain, this is not gonna go well, or a deep possibility that it's not gonna go well. So therefore how we react many times takes it this step higher for ourselves because we're looking at it for protection. You know, we gotta feel like we gotta protect ourselves from those who's supposed to be out there protecting us, but then we're looking at it, and for right now, I want to say, and but it's probably not an accurate number, seven times out of ten, we're hearing that, you know, this thing escalated, unarmed, didn't have to escalate, it could have been de-escalated, and then boom, here we go, and, uh, you know, we have a black man dead that didn't need to die, because Somebody didn't know how to deal with mental health issues and challenges. Mm-hmm. So then it's unfortunate because I'm referencing a completely different scenario that has happened in just the last 24 hours uh, where a young man called the police um, and, and then first got a ride home from the police from, from the store, then called the police back when he and his brother got into some kind of conflict. And then they came out and killed him. So, so I believe that was in the last night or just yesterday. So, so we're now living in a time where this is happening every day. And it takes me back to the crack era, you know, when we first really began to be desensitized to murder and mayhem. And we got used to there being another murder, there being another, another killing. These all only impact and add a whole nother layer onto the PTSD and, and, and the mental health issues that we're already dealing with being black in America. Mm-hmm. You know, then it takes me back to what was calling out for the defunding of police. I worked in law enforcement for a while. So even though I worked on the street, I was working more with the inmates and all that. The bottom line is like a lot of people have a misinformation of what defund the police is. It's exactly what we just talked about. Defund the police is to take some funds from here to place it here so we can have be better equipped to deal with the diversity of the people that are walking around on earth. How do you deal with the mental health issue if you have no understanding of what a mental health issue is? How then do you estimate 
Because you're going in there with a cop view of this person to be a criminal as soon as I step to him, rather than the possibility of maybe this I need you to I've seen stuff where there was a counselor working with a young man who was having a mental health crisis, and then the counselor got shot, even though the counselor Hello? was laying all the way on his back. Hello? How do you justify that? Hold on, Kevin. Okay. Kevin, he's, uh-huh. he's in the middle of his sentence. Hold on. We can hear you saying hello, hello, hello. Okay. Oh, no, I had to turn my YouTube off in order to talk on my phone. Okay. We appreciate you. Come on in, brother. We can hear you now. Okay. Is he through talking? Because, like I said, I can't see him, so I'm not able to look at him like I was at first. Oh, okay. It's okay, good. Go ahead and finish your conversation. I'm listening. I'm learning. Go ahead, Kevin, because you, you come from a psychology background. So your 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 information is more than welcome. We definitely want to hear it. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, just like when the Divine Prince said that he sought out psychology, I thought it was something in dealing with healing people that it was something that I was drawn to. I didn't know what it was. But when I realized Without the mental, you can't heal the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I gravitated to psychology, and I okay, loved it. And I had a comment because okay. I, okay. I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and I was a crisis, I'm a, I was a crisis counselor for the state of Tennessee. And I started noticing things about our healthcare system because they are government funded. I started noticing that they really didn't want to heal the person mentally. They worked enough to help the person get over, but in order to get funded, they still needed people, so they really didn't work to heal the people. They just mm-hmm. worked enough to keep them coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, I also applied for this place called Behavioral Health Group, which is a group that deals with people who are on meth and heroin. And I went in, I interviewed for the position, and he asked me, well, how would you first help a person who is on drugs? And I said, well, first I would, be, I would get to the bottom of what is driving them to be on drugs. In order to heal the drug problem, you have to heal the underlining problem because if you don't heal that, they're going to go back to the drugs. And he said, well, you're coming from a psychologist, a therapist's point of view. And I'm like, well, that's what I majored in. Where are you coming from? We first, you know, we don't heal the mental problem. We try to work with the drug problem, but how do you work with the drug problem when you're giving them drugs, even though you're saying that you're helping them, but you're still providing them with drugs, saying that, well, this is going to keep them out the streets and not going for the drugs. But when that wears off, they're going to still go look for the drugs. Until you've healed the mental part of what is driving them to the drugs, it's doing no good. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you have made a comment. Um, I wrote the thing down. Some organizations are government-funded, so they really don't try to treat the patient. Um, they actually linger the they they actually use the patient for funding because, like I said, without that government funding, that organization can't stay open because, they, as you know, they are nonprofit. Right. Um. And in order for those them to get that funding, they have to have the numbers, which means they have to have the people. And not all of those organizations are in for the best 
what I would say, they're not in it for the person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree. me going into mental health, I was into mental health because I was in it for the person, not the money. Mm-hmm. And when I got in that field and I started working for these organizations, I was like, wait a minute. This is not what I signed up. I'm here to treat the person and help this person get better. You're in here to hold this person on in order to get funding. So, and Kevin, like you said, you know, they really keep the bodies in the chair to maintain their funding. And and, and yeah. you also in the phar- pharmaceutical industry. The, the, their goal is to keep you coming back to buy that that uh, prescription. Um, many of you know I'm a diabetic, um, and, and I'm doing well as a diabetic, but I still have to test my sugar daily. One box of these test strips costs $150 a month, $150. So if you're not getting the Medicaid, Medicare, some kind of assistance, a lot of people can't afford that. But the goal of the pharmaceutical company is to keep you coming back, is to keep you buying, is to keep you participating in the, in the, in the system, keep keeping that chair full. And our prisons are, are, are much the same way. These private prisons are making millions of dollars off of incarcerating people, holding bodies. Oh, yes. Most people don't even believe that it costs you I was reading um, the statistics when I worked in healthcare. It costs $97 per day to house and feed an inmate. That's coming out of taxpayers' money. Rather than rehabilitate these people and make sure that they stay out of prison, they're hoping that they return back to prison because it keeps them funded. It, it, it's like a catch twenty-two. It's like a revolve, as we call it, a revolving door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You go in to get help, and it's not that you're not getting help because people that come in to help, they don't want the people that want to be there to help. They want the people that's just there, just about the money to make the money, make the money, make the money. We don't care if this person don't get better. That's not we. That's not we in here for. And I went into psychology because that's what I was in there for, to help, to heal. And when I saw this is not what it is, I was like, no. This is not what I want. Yeah, I agree. But I was just, you were speaking on a um, conversation and a topic that I was familiar with, and I was like, I can't let this one go without joining in this time. I agree. We certainly appreciate you. And I and I'm No, I appreciate I'm, you all. I do. I appreciate you all because there are so many fakes and flodgers out there and I have been listening to you for a couple of months and I feel it. Like everything that you say, even when you come and say there are people on there, you know, they go study tarot for about a week, and, you know, they none of their spiritually inclined. They they can read. They can talk to their ancestors. And I'm like, that ain't how they work. But they don't seem to be able to talk to their own shadow work. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. which, which is shocking to me. <laughs> you know, you can talk to the dead and the spirits, but you can't talk to your past. You can't speak to your future. You, you, you can't speak to that which is laying dormant and, and denied within. And so we're finding that people are attracted to, you know, tarot reading and various spiritual practices, but they're not healing at all. They're not healing no. at all. And that person who showed up at my door Saturday was a clear demonstration of that. You know, when you don't run into a complication and the first thing you start doing is using profanity, insults, you know, that over-the-top psychic, uh, psychotic behavior I talked about in my, in my video, that's not healing. That's not power. So we want to, you know, burn sage and we want to burn candles and we want to sort of do these, you know, rituals empty rituals that, that don't have any power in them, that don't have any healing in them. Yeah, absolutely. As Tina Turner said, Rengeki yo, nami yo. Yeah. But the, Mr. Divine Prince, um, your cousin, I don't know his name and I won't disrespect him and not pronounce it right. Um, I just say thank you all for being there because I've listened to you even when you had the, uh, the older lady on and she was talking about um, how she's a nurturer and she helps people. I have learned so much more than I knew by myself from you all. And that is truly a blessing because each one teach one and a person can't grow without a community. That's right. So thank you. Thank I'm going to let you all get back to y'all show and entertain me and educate me. Thank you. We appreciate it. Always feel free to call okay. in. Okay. Now, how many I bow? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Chef Uji, did you have something to say? I can see it in your no, eyes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just taking it all in. And listening to what you guys have to say, this is new for me. You know that. I don't, yeah. I don't get a chance to participate like I'm doing right now. Uh, and and this, this is a discussion that I think should have taken should take place more often. Yeah. Because there's a lot of help. There's a lot of there's a lot of times that men just need to just talk to each other and see if we're all going through the same thing. And and you know that's the, that's the best way to do it is conversation. But but let me so ask, but let me ask you honestly. Where is yeah. that? Where is that happening? And 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 how many of us know how to be present w- when a man does want to share, does want to talk? Maybe might seem a little bit vulnerable, you know, in that moment. No one's taught how to do that. There are no spaces that are carved out for that to happen. You know, I've been accused of being a feminist, but there are far more communities coming together around women than on men. And, and I say it all the time. They, they would much rather we stay where we are, if not regress, to maintain power. Because just imagine what happens when we're healed, and then we can heal our families and our communities, and then we can indeed move some of the ideas that Marcus Garvey and the Black Panther Party movement and many others had about our wholeness not just about kill the white man, not just about, you know, the, the, the lynching with the police, but every aspect of, of our being. 
And so it, it doesn't end and begin with politics. It doesn't end and begin with financial, you know, wealth and prosperity. No amount of financial wealth and prosperity is going to help us if we, if our heads ain't right. Mm-hmm. I say it all That's the time. True. That's true. But the key is you can't be afraid. A lot of a lot of older men, especially in the black community, are scared of these young boys. And I'm not scared of them. And I don't think you guys are either. And how you deal with them, there is no group or organization that really does that effectively. But when you get in touch with a young man, when you cross a young man's path, you should not be afraid to have a conversation with him and talk to him. Because everybody that I've talked to, like, you know, I'm my, my name is Chef Vigil on here. But I stopped being a chef, like, 15 years ago. I'm going to like online me if I go court now. I drive, I drive a tractor trailer. I drive a gasoline tank. And I meet a lot of young men. But instead of being afraid of them, I interact with them. I have a conversation with them. And a lot of times I've formed friendships with them, and I've shown them, hey, man, listen, you really not do that. You should be doing this. Do you know who you are? I mean, why are you doing something like this? And a lot of times, if you're not if you're not scared of them, and they know that you're not scared of, they'll listen to you. They'll actually you can see them paying attention, and you can see them you can see the wheels turning. And a lot of times, I've gone to places, I've made deliveries, I'll talk to a young man, and I'll come back like a week or two later, and I'll see the same young man, and he'll. So, hey, old head, how you doing? And then we'll talk again. And then eventually, the old head will leave. Mm-hmm. And it'll be, hey, Mr. John, how you doing? Or, hi, Ms. Flowers, how you doing? And, I'm, and then at that point, I can say, well, what are you doing for yourself? And, and when I get them to the place that I want, where they're making positive moves, I've got a couple of young men in culinary school. I've got a couple of young men in school learning how to get a city off so they can drive trucks. And after I get him to that point, I say, now, listen, I got one young man that I worked with that I've been talking to him for about 15 years, and now he's doing the same thing that I do. And he says, man, I don't know how to thank you. I said, this is how you thank me. The next young man that you see, you give him what I gave you. And if all of us did that, you know, you share that with a young man, bring him up, show him it can be just... You may just be one person at a time. You might not be able to do 20 or 30 people at one time. Mm-hmm. But if you just cover one young man at a time and encourage them to pass that same lesson along to other young men, the guys that they hang out with, somebody younger than them. Because, you know, the one thing that I've noticed also is that children, much younger children, not teenagers, but four, five, six years old, they pay attention. Mm-hmm. So when I go someplace, whenever I make a delivery, I always show respect for everybody there. The young people there, the little people there, I interact with them. I speak, shake their hand. And because a lot of times they're like, man, that's a big truck. How do you do this? And I say, son, you can do this too if you want to. And I give them encouragement. And that's the biggest thing that we need to do is give them encouragement. Because I see a lot of older men that see a young man out in the corner and say, oh, well, that ain't really that nothing. He ain't this. He ain't that. No, man. Listen, this generation that we got right now, they're probably the best generation that's ever been that's ever come up because they're fearless. They're not scared of anything. They just need to be aimed in the right direction. Pointed in the right direction. If you if you get their minds right, you can do a lot. You can do a lot, but it just takes one at a time. 
You can't, you know, you, you're not going to get a whole big group of people that's going to take one at a time. And that spreads. And they spread that message also. Next thing you know, you got a whole community full of young men that are doing positive things and helping older people, which is what they're supposed to be doing in any, yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it takes time, but you can't get discouraged because you see a few bad apples here and there. There are some very good young people out there. You just have to reach them and not be afraid to talk to them. Because a lot of the so-called really bad the smart mouthing, they're really not that bad. If you get a chance to break them down and talk to them, they're not bad at all. Most of them are very intelligent. Mm-hmm. They just don't feel like they have an opportunity. And you have to, sometimes you have to present different opportunities for them. Show them, listen, you should do this like this. Just show it to them. They'll take it. If it's better than what they're doing right now, and they can see, and they can look at you, and you're giving them their advice, and they go, well, looks like to me he's doing all right. Maybe I need to try to listen to what he's saying. You know, a lot of them will take that information and run with it, but you got to give them a chance. You can't, you can't, when you see a young person acting a fool, don't run away from them. Don't act like, you know, I'm scouting and be bothered. No, you should, you got to be bothered. Well, that's the same young man's going to crack you over the head a couple nights from now when you step out the house. So you better try to do everything you can to reach him, have the conversation with him, let him know who they are, let him know that you don't have to do this. You can do a lot better. Mm-hmm. But it's going to require some work, but you can do a lot better than this. And get out into the community. One of the things I love about New Orleans is our free culture community. And what I mean by that is our brass band, our second line, our masking Mardi Gras Indians, our, our baby dolls. And so you see us in the street almost every day. Uh, some of you saw some photos and videos I posted from a second line this weekend. Everyone is there, from the highest to the lowest, from the most educated to the, to the least educated. And, and those brass band musicians have an opportunity, even the youngest one, to pull up the next one behind them, and bring them into something, teach them something that, that's not only a viable skill, but, but shows them that there are another alternative to, to just hanging out on, on the stoop, hanging out, out on the corner. Um, Goat Rider, I, I believe with you, I, I just believe that's a two-way street. I think both the elders may not necessarily, um, you know, be able to get out and reach, but some of our young people are not always willing to listen. And, and I get that a lot in the Black Witch, you know, Orisha Romance community. They, they're not trying to hear elders. They're not trying to take sound advice unless they bump their head. Now, I have them come back and say, oh, well, this happened and now I need help. Okay, so you have to then be present, you know, to help. But, but I agree with you. We've got to get out into our communities more. Uh, you know, I, I feel privileged. To live in New Orleans. I don't know what's happening, you know, in the community in Chicago anymore or in, in St. Louis or, or in Philly anymore. But indeed here, you, you have that opportunity for the older generation and the younger generation to come together over culture, culture, tradition, performance. Trombone Shorty has, has given an opportunity here in town for many young people. Uh, some of you watched the award ceremony last night. Um, uh, Bache 
won won a, a, a Oscar last night. Young man, he don't look a day over forty, you know, and has an opportunity to demonstrate, you know, that we have options. There is another direction you can go. There is a way out of this community. But as long as we're not as parents and leaders and elders considering our own mental health, spiritual health, overall sense of well wellness and well being, that is then being passed down as lineage to those who, who follow behind us. Um, Eric O four oh four, um your line is open. I believe that's that's Wisconsin, right? No, or is that it, Georgia? It, it's Georgia. Okay, greetings, beloved. Who's calling? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Shamafia Rothschild. I'm calling oh, from Shemafia. Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, greetings, beloved. Hey. How you doing? Alafia, much much love and appreciation for the topic at hand. Um, thank you so much for all that you bring to our world. We all just we we couldn't pull together the way we do without you. So we love you. We love you. I appreciate. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Um so the the reason I'm calling is that uh I am um I've dealt with mental illness and uh men- mental health and mental recovery since I was about 19 and um I actually had a a curse placed on me or somebody took some of my things, some of my belongings and and uh put put a curse on those things and I went into confusion. Well, my brother, who's very, very um, devoted into Santeria, um, he had a head cleansing done on me. And it changed the entire scope of my vision and introduced me into the path of of following my ancestors and um, just the the, the education of the Orishas um, and the – just the institution of finding who my real voice was and, and why I'm here. So um, as um, the priest said earlier about cleansing your ori, um, it's, it's the most important thing that anybody can do is, is honor yourself first and, and see to your needs first, but then seek to help everyone else once you get yourself clear. But if you're not clear first, there's no way that you can get to the place where you're ready to be of service to humanity of to source. Mm-hmm. So um I um yeah. I just I give reverence and I give praise to all of our ancestors and all of the people that held the chains together and 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 all yeah. the hard work it took for us to get here to have a temple even if it is a virtual temple. I'm a part of this temple every time the bell hits and I just I just want to say thank you, Source. Thank you, Olodumare. Thank you, Oduduwa. Thank you, Rumila. Thank you to all the, the the supreme forces that come together to formulate this awesome place we are. And, and, and men, I'm grateful that we're giving space. We're going to own and give you space to heal because if we don't do it, it'll never happen. Yeah. And if we don't make it happen, it won't, it won't happen. Because they're clearly going to keep black men as ill and, and disconnected and rejected, you know, and negative, you know, as possible. Um, and Goat Rider, you know, I, I agree with you. You know, the church, you know, it's still the, the go-to sort of place, 
you know, and, and, and that would be all right if our needs were being met there. But I, I'm not saying our needs are being, are being met. I'm not even hearing mental, spiritual wholeness even being preached, you know, for, from the church. Um, and I agree with your mafia. If, you're, if, if your head ain't together, nothing else can be. Nothing else no. will. So uh, I agree. Absolutely. There's a, we, we need it. Your Ori has to consent. It is your Ori that holds the, the, the destiny that you have, right? So then if things are in alignment with your Ori, then your Ori will consent, and then you'll see the blessings, the manifestation of blessings, healing, all of that to start happening for you. Yeah, that's right. Some of us that's go true. right and don't even believe peace is obtainable, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we hear that a lot, particularly when we have, you know, elections, political conversations, uh, people feel the most safest, I think, under the guise of those conversations to sort of reveal their shadow work, their, their, their disenchantment with church, their disenchantment with the government, their disenchantment with with white people, their disenchantment even with black people, uh, with ourselves. And so we've just given up. And so I'm not going to make excuses for those elders who are, you know, hugging the couch. But even as you said, you all are living in a very different climate than maybe uh, my cousin and Chef Bougie and I, (laughs) you know, because we got a little white here. And, and of course, our parents and those who came before Men were not expected nor taught to be emotional in the 60s, in the 50s, in the 40s. They were only expected to work, pay the bills, maintain the household, if they even received that message. So um, we have to understand that even the elders are suffering from unresolved shadow work, unresolved spiritual work, and they might be even less likely than your generation and those underneath you to seek help, to seek some kind of guidance. Uh, we see that on, on Iyana Van Zandt's Fix My Life all the time. When these older the fathers and the grandpas come in and she has to sort of fall back on an old school traditional way of communicating with them uh, to sort of get them past that, you know, that velvet rope from, from back in yesteryear and then bring them into a place where they can indeed seek that, that healing. Um, there was no Ibori in the black community 30 years ago, 40 years ago. There were very few people who even knew what E5 was, you know, in, in the 70s to, to any great degree. So we're all sort of experiencing now a new time, a new era, where we can learn a new way of addressing, you know, these issues, these blocks. And, and remove them so that they don't then continue to pass down to the next generation. Uh, that's one of the things I love so much about Chef Bougie and, um, and Arisha. Uh, they're determined that it won't be their kids or their grandkids or anybody that comes after them. It, it, it stops right now. You know, I like to say we have an opportunity to end all of those generational curses right now with us, with those okay. who, are, who are hearing, who are seeing right now and not let that continue to sort of roll downhill. I was taught shit rolls downhill. Yeah, <laughs> it does. 
But at a certain point, you have to take responsibility for your own mess and, and call order mm-hmm. into your space. And if you call in, if you have no idea who Abbasala is, that clean, cleansing, white space that everything, the backdrop for all order, we call that into our space, into our ori and the coolness so that we can see with a level head, with, with a level mind. You can't create anything if there's just disorder, chaos, and, and all kinds of terrible disrespect and people calling people's names. And I really, when I saw your video, I was like, yeah, there's some rough, there's some rough, terrible stuff out here that, I mean, it needs to be addressed. And, and we're calling yeah. it to the carpet now. Yeah. Because these are things we have to look at. It's real. And Shamafi, we've been told not to air our, our, our black laundry in public. But, but I feel I need to say this. Um, and I said it, you know, in a roundabout way a little bit early in the show. It's, it's real easy to point our finger at the man, the system, the government, enslavement. But we've got to begin to look at ourselves and look at ourselves honestly. And there are some of us that are harboring deep resentment and hatred for black men. And so you can't wait for an opportunity to feel disrespected and pull out your nine. You can't wait for an opportunity to feel disrespected and, and, and have him locked up. And, and, and we see it. We've all have seen people use the police. We've seen the, the girlfriend use the police to come and get their man, you know, as, as, a, as a tool of control, only to go down there the next day and, and desperately beg to get, him, to get him back out. But we're all sort of holding this, this pent-up resentment. And I don't think the resentment is rooted in, you know, black men have just been, been bad people. I think some of the resentment is rooted in a, a feeling that why can't my black men save us from this? Why can't my husband save me from this? Why didn't my father protect me from this or better prepare me for this? So we're walking around with this, this pent up anger and resentment. And so it's not just Karen, you know, that, that's put a target on our back. We've put a target on each other's back. Chef Bougie talked about you old heads that are, are quick to denigrate the young man, quick to call him out of his name, quick to tell him you ain't about to be nothing, you ain't about to be no good, you're never going to accomplish anything. You know, those are the things that my dad said to me when I was 12, 13, 14. You know, one time he even said that uh, we might as well get the wigs and the, and the dresses ready. You know, which has never happened, by the way. But he said that, you know, and so we are too quick, too quick, and particularly in the, the single-headed household. Now, 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 black women, this is not a judgment about you. But if you are upset about the dad, you are upset with the, with the, the father of the children, you upset with the husband, we are too quick to take that out on the children. We're too quick to take that out on the boys. We're too quick to say, oh, you just like your dad. And the kid ain't but 10. Ain't but 10 years old, but you already saying you just like your dad. You're programming a future that will come back to haunt you by saying that. So you're we've cursing be, that baby. Yeah, we've got to be willing to, to address each other in an honest way, in a humble way, and, and not always feel like we've been under attack. You know, when we're corrected, 
or, or, or when my cousin or Chef Bougie might say, well, Divine Prince, you're not saying that right. You know, I, I, I'm going to step back and hear what they have to say. And, and, and maybe I need to adjust my behavior. I always look at me first. I just do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's no longer my dad's responsibility. It's no longer the, the whip crackers' responsibility. It's no longer the overseer's responsibility. It's mine now. It's mine now. So we've got to be willing to be honest with ourselves. I know where my shortcomings are. <laughs> Ask any of my clients. I, I make it real clear about where my shortcomings are and, and where I know I'm not flexible. Um, my cousin may not even realize it, but he got me to consider uh, yesterday that I, I, sometimes I'm, I'm out of touch with my own lack of vulnerability. Vulnerability don't come easy to me. I, I don't like being vulnerable. I, I learned that vulnerability was weakness. And so I know I'm, I'm often not vulnerable. That, that's far down on the list. But I'm open to getting in touch with that. I'm able to hear my cousin, my brother, my mother say, well, you're not always as vulnerable. You're not always as empathetic. And, and be willing to improve and not always feel like we we being continuously judged and under attack. Because reality is we've been judged and under attack since the beginning of the Middle Passage. So that's mm-hmm. second nature for us to assume we're being judged and under attack, even when that's not exactly what's happening. You know, my best friend, Denise Augustine, the older woman you all keep referencing, she likes to say, that's in your imagination. That's not real. Who told you that? <laughs> Who confirmed that for you? Or is that just something you've made up in your mind? Some of you have made up haters that don't exist. <laughs> you just assume that everybody's out to get you. You just assume everybody's a hater. But you have no real concrete proof of that. And so we've got to be willing to be honest about our feelings and find someone that can be vulnerable with. Your, your father, your mother, your grandmother, the old lady that lives next door, the old man across the street, and, and be willing to hear where we might need to make some adjustment and marry this new consciousness with with some of that old traditional foundation and we could really see our community uh change expeditiously in the next four four or five years things don't have to continue to be this way no they don't come on now enough of us in here there's there's, um there's (laughs) something that's on my heart that i need to say out is that there's there's something that comes from church that they don't talk about enough and that the temple comes from within. The temple is within. And that resonates with me that our ori is our temple. And then there's another part of where Jesus said, you know, these things I do, you shall do and more. But that leads to the fact that you have to take responsibility for what's happening in your temple. So... It's taking ownership of your shortcomings. It's giving grace to the fact that everyone has those shortcomings. We're all a part of everyone's healing process. But to really help others heal, you have to really take a gruesome look in, in the mirror at yourself and recognize, you know, I have a short temper. I have a short fuse. Well, why is that? What happened to you that caused you to have that? What's been building up in your space? 
that needs an outlet. So when you say find somebody you can trust and that will let you show your 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 soft belly or your vulnerability, it's super important. Even if it's a, te- a text buddy that you have or a friend that you call that's a thousand miles away that you can trust, find that person and, and do that. Work through it. Ashe. 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 A lot of it is going and finding your root. What is the root of your of your thinking? What is the root of your acting? What is the root of why you believe in the way that you believe? What is the root in your understanding of why this affects this? What are the triggers? What triggers this particular feeling within you? What triggers this particular action? What triggers this particular, these particular words to come out of your mouth? What is it that this particular thing, word, or whatever it is that somebody has said, done, acted, that caused you, that triggers your reaction? So we have to look at triggers as well because the triggers sometimes manifest a behavior that makes a situation worse rather than better. So therefore, we have to look at our behavior management. How are we managing our actions? How are we managing our thinking? How are we managing when we think something that's really difficult? How then do we manage that thinking so that it doesn't manifest in behavior that's going to be destructive. All of these things for myself is about Ori, but it, it's about being able to manage your behaviors, manage your thinking, and not allowing your thinking to overtake your wisdom. Just because I feel this way, it might not be that way, So therefore, I have to investigate whether my thinking is in alignment with truth, with the actuality. Mm -hmm. And then that means that I have to be able to slow down. We talked about Obatala. Perfect example. Mm -hmm. He's the owner of all oils. He's the one that that Illuminati sent down here to create this this this, the the earth as we as we see it, right? It is Illuminati, I mean, uh, uh, Obatala, the fear of the white cup that brings the purity within us. And so our life then is meant to try to embrace and embody the purity that Obatala holds. Yes, Obatala, in the stories, he made the mistake of drinking a little too much, and then the, 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 the people were not made like the original people that he made. But let's look at that from a practical standpoint right now. Those with mental issues, those with physical issues, those with emotional issues, all become children of Obatala. So therefore, we have to show extreme grace to them because Obatala is the one who is governing them. He's the one who is got their got their protection within. 
got their support within. So mental health in terms of men, in that many of us are not patient with ourselves. Many of us don't understand the importance of forgiving ourselves. Many of us are not, we're we're, we're not 100% equipped to deal with healing ourselves mentally, physically, emotionally, and then going into spiritual. That's right. So the healing of ourselves as far as black men, as far as men go, we got to be going deep into the root of, of all aspects. We talked about from the physical side, from the eating to, to being able to be uh, our, our way of being, our actions, all of that. We talked a little bit about emotional and that of not allowing that the things that we intake into our emotions then come up in a way that becomes destructive. And then we got to take it into mental. How does what we face every day deal with our mentality of how we deal with ourselves, our families, our community as a whole? Our mental health and how we think, a lot of the changes that we have to make strictly goes back to how we view and how we think. And if we change our thoughts and we go deeper into our view to be able to examine a view from a different level, a different perspective, then maybe our view can then change in a way where for ourselves we'll have the ability to start healing ourselves. There's many times in these thoughts that, it, that we hear, uh, we always hear do the work. But what does doing the work mean? Doing the work then tells us we have to go deeper within what is allowing us or making us to be in the way that we are, acting the way that we are, thinking in the way that we are, eating the way that we do. Are we exercising? Are we doing something as an outlet so that all the pent-up emotions and stress is not going to affect us in our health? and go down to our prostate, our bladder, where we get prostate cancer and enlarged prostate. All of those things. Then once you get in a large prostate, I haven't heard too many that went down to shrink back to normal. I know that there's probably some, but I haven't heard of a whole big number of people who when their prostate enlarges, that it goes back. And that prostate issue then affects the bladder issue, then all of the blood pressure issues that we deal with because we're holding on to so much stress. Mm-hmm. The blood pressure issues is always been part of it. But then if we go back to diet, we can bring it down a little bit. If we go back to uh, um, not holding on to so many things that maybe don't have anything to do with us, we got to lower it a little bit more. Mental health is such a diverse, it's a, such a diverse subject that each person that you speak to, even in the, the mental health field, mm-hmm. will have a different little perspective or nuance that if you start bringing them together instead of 
you know, saying it doesn't agree 100% with what I feel or do or think, then you start bringing together a bigger, I want to say package, but that's not the word, a, 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 a bigger way of dealing with stuff, a more diverse way of dealing with stuff. Because then mm-hmm. we enter into the spiritual. When we enter into the spiritual, now the true work, it really begins. Because it's the spirit, it kind of is like that circle, that, that circle with the four arrows. It keeps going back and recalibrating back. And each place can be a beginning, but there's a never-ending, the never-ending circle. I say I absolutely agree. Yeah, that's that was awesome. As if you heal one aspect of yourself, does the other aspect evolve simultaneously? Sometimes. Sometimes. Because a lot of times when you heal one, you've had to address others. Even if you didn't address them in full, you've had to go and you've had to at least address them even in a minimal way. And once you see one place, one aspect heal, you then can go back to the other aspects to see how each one that you addressed helped in the healing of this. And then that will take you back and you start backtracking to another layer of it where it's almost like peeling an onion sometimes. In, in order to get to the, to the place where you can use the onion, you've got to peel back layers. And then we have to peel back layers sometimes of our mental health issues, of our physical health issues, of our mental health issues, and even our spiritual health issues. Yes, I see, I see. Anthony, um, I'm familiar with the chakra system, but I think here in the West, and, and I've said this on previous shows, we tend to compartmentalize. And so we've taken chakras, we've taken yoga completely out of the rest of the cultural ethno traditions of that region. Um, meditation, working mantras. And so ultimately it comes back to your head. I think we look at chakras as being something, you know, the Kundalini that rises up and it starts, you know, at the base of, of, the, of the spine. But you can't even start that process if your head is not in it. As my cousin said, if your ORE doesn't allow it, no amount of over-focus on, on the first six chakras is going to really have an overwhelming effect on you. If your head is not there, if your consciousness is not a part of that, that process. So I believe all things begin and end with the head. All things. Whether it's a diet, whether you're trying to, you know, bulk up and, and, and develop muscles, it's still got to start with your, your head and, and how you dedicate commitment, discipline, uh, of course, the holistic aspect, what are you eating, what are you drinking. Many of the things that my cousin um, enumerated early, earlier in the show. So, that is correct. You know, everything has its purpose. And everything has its place in our healing. A lot of it, when we go into the, 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 the level of the spiritual healing, it's all of those other aspects that we talked about that come through in the spiritual healing. The spiritual healing 
begins with OE to work deeply and closely with our OE so that we become in alignment behavior-wise, in our thinking, in our perspectives. Even though our perspectives could be different, we all have different perspectives. If, if it's a healthy perspective, we can then benefit somebody else and be benefited. So our spiritual healing comes in how deep are we willing to go to know ourselves and to feed the divinity within ourselves in a positive way. We then can bring and manifest our, divine, our, our inner divinity to a place where it illuminates so many places so, so strongly outside that people see that we are living this thing. To live this thing means every walk and every step that I take. I'm trying to do it to better myself, which will then better my community and those around me. So how do I do that? Maybe for me, it is a closer relationship with Alulamare, with, with Orisha, with my ancestors, so that when I step, I'm stepping knowing that my ancestors are stepping with me. When I take that right foot and step forward, all of my ancestors are on that right foot. When I take a step with my left foot, my, le- my ancestors are stepping with the left foot. Who are they? And what did they accomplish? And what work was left for them that they wanted to accomplish that they are hoping that you're going to manifest in your life to complete for them? So therefore, yes. your relationship with your ancestors becomes essential in that something that they needed done that will come manifesting through you from them, right? And then on top of that, you then have to also have uh, what is it in 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 uh, your relationship with with the thought that's going to elevate your inner consciousness? The verses of the thought give you guidelines for living and having good life, and for correcting the errors and mistakes that you have made, and then to be able to give you the prescription to heal those mistakes with people, with situations, with anything. And if you follow the prescription, you see healing in all aspects of your life. So now, Mm -hmm. what are we willing to do? What are you willing to do spiritually to heal the things in your life that you see are not in accordance, in alignment, that are not kind of uh, fluid, they're not in a good place, they're not in a good level. What are you willing to do? See, the first sacrifice, they always talk about sacrifice, but the first sacrifice is within yourself. The first sacrifice is, are you willing, even if you don't feel that you are wrong, are you willing to make, to do the things that you need to do to make minutes? To heal something that you value because you see if you don't heal it, it ain't going to get healed because nobody else is going to heal it. That's right. Are you, going, are you willing to make the sacrifice that when you see that your body is not healthy, are you willing to make the sacrifice to change your diet? Well, the diet comes into what you're taking in mentally as well. So then are you willing to change the diet where you're not watching TV all damn day 
and watching things that are not going to benefit your growth and your emotions, that is going to evoke nothing but negative emotions. And you're going to be angry, mad, sad, whatever, right? What are you willing to take in? What nutrients are you willing to take in? What are you willing to, what are you willing to do? The sacrifice begins with you. In Erete Meji, it says sometimes we must put the conquer. What does it mean? Well, sometimes I got to take a step back from even my own arrogance to take a step back to say, man, diet is on. This diet is, is really causing me a lot of health issues. I need to go. Let me try the Dr. Sebi diet or let me try, you know, taking some meat away. Let me try doing this, doing that to allow me to uh, start feeling better or see if there's going to make a difference three months, six months. Put some time into the sacrifice. Sacrifice does not just say it's going to change right there and then, right there at that day. Sometimes it takes a while for the manifestation of the sacrifice to, to flourish. Mm-hmm. I've said a lot, so let me give it back to you guys. <laughs> Well, you're right. You know, when, when I turned 15 years old, I had that. It was almost like somebody snuck in my bedroom that night and hit a switch in the back of my head. And when I turned 50, within the first six months, I got, the, I, uh, got diagnosed with uh, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, diabetes. All within six months. I was 345 pounds. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so you was a real my shit. mentality was different. Oh yeah, <laughs> my mentality was completely different. My mentality was completely different. Now I'm I'm at a spot now where I don't eat meat. I haven't had red meat in about I guess it's been years. I can't even remember. And if I eat chicken, it's 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 a chicken from a certain place. That's a small farm, and it's pasture raised. It's allowed to walk in the pasture. If I drink milk, that may be once every month. It's from a small farm. Mm-hmm. Since that time, I, I dropped a, I dropped 120 pounds. Mm-hmm. All of those Congratulations. went away. They left. My mentality changed. How I think about things, my understanding of things changed. And your diet is everything. And everything that I take in now, even if it's a fish, or whatever. First of all, I, I eat nothing that's farmed. Because most of the time, that animal was herded into a pen and mm-hmm. like fish. So fish, I don't eat farm-raised fish. It's wild caught or it's nothing. Yeah. And every time I look at different vegetables, you have to pay attention to where they came from. Mm-hmm. How the people who even harvested them, how were they treated? If it was a small farm, most of the time, things are done more humanely. But if it's a factory, you have to pay attention to that. People were abused. People were, were underpaid, overworked. And, and that also comes along with that food. They're handling your food, and you're taking it in. So that's all the problem. That all, that all can cause people to act differently. That's why they say... In the hood, you got all these fast food places. Everybody goes, eats, and then at night, 
the shooting, the stabbing, and everything else. This has an effect on everything that you take in, you take in something, and a lot of times you're taking in other people's misery. What about when you're cooking? Does that, and the attitude that you have behind the 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 attitude that you have, that's why I said you can go to eat at a restaurant and there's nothing better than home because your home food, you're cooking it with a passion, with a love, it's for you. It's going to taste better than anything you can buy from anywhere else. And that's just, it it comes across and it makes a big difference. And, and, you know, I just, I'm thankful that I have that now. That, and the fact that you guys ever experienced uh, 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 ayahuasca? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That did a lot. Not yet. That's a strong thing to go through. That's very strong. My wife, my daughter, all three of us went through it at the same time. And that really makes you look at things in a totally different perspective because I realized that a lot of the crying and, and, and things that you go through, like at the end of it, I found that I was crying at the end of the ceremony, but it wasn't for me. It was for my ancestors and what they had to go through and what they endured just to bring me forward. And a lot of that, a lot of the suffering that black people do in this country, some of it's not even our suffering. Some of it's the suffering of our ancestors, and we don't even realize it. You You'll cry for no reason at all. You don't even understand part of it. Now, part of it is ours, but a lot of it is just on top of what was done to us in the past. And if you don't find a way to purge yourself of that, to get rid of it, and the biggest key is, like you said, your diet. You got to change your diet. You, if you find a... If I, if I go grocery shopping, I spend more time now reading papers. If I turn a box over, first of all, I don't buy anything out of the box anymore. But whatever, when I did, I turn that box over and read it back. If I can't recognize the first two ingredients, it's done. So if the first ingredient is salt, I'm finished. I'm done. Because those things don't give do, do you no good whatsoever. And I remember being in the hospital, and just feeling absolutely miserable. And that that misery, I can't even I can't even tell you how it, it just went so deep. But when I got to the point where I started noticing little accomplishments, like okay, you can actually walk a mile now. Mm-hmm. You can do this now. You can bend over, and you can actually stand back up. And those little after a while, you start realizing, hey, man, you know, I'm in a totally different space than I was before. And when you get to that space, then you start saying, okay, I want to exercise now. I want to do this now. Because I'm doing so well, I might as well, let's take it first. And uh, Alicia and I, we exercise at least four or five times a week. And now we're starting to get to the point where we run. She's running further than me now, but. I do two miles, she do, she's close to three miles, so over three miles now where she can run. And you don't understand it, but the young people are looking at you. And if they see a young, an older man who is not hooked up to an oxygen machine, they're capable of getting up with them and being active and being young in the mind, mm-hmm. they want to look at you and go, what's that man doing? And they'll ask you questions most of the time. 
And when you tell them what you're doing, sometimes they'll turn up their attention to it. They'll, they'll, they'll start adapting some of those things for themselves. But also, you'll find that a person who is eating properly, who has the right mindset, will embrace something like APR. They'll want to know more about their ancestors. They'll want to know more about who they are, where they come from. And this system that I'm in is not working. I need to try a new system. Let me try this system. And that opens the door for them. But they'll first acknowledge that and see that in the elders. If they see it in the elders, they're more likely to gravitate towards it and ask questions. And once they start asking questions, you got them. You are the demonstration yourself. If you do it right, you are the demonstration. They want to know. They imitate us. They want to know, well, what are you doing that I see that you got to grow, that you got this, that, and the other, that you can stay level-headed, you stay even-tempered. Not that much bother you, but you're grounded. Well, this is what I'm doing. Give me a shot. I can talk to you. Here's my phone number. I'll take their phone number. Let me show you how to do this, that, or the other, and we'll go from there. But we are, like you, you always say, we are a demonstration. Yes. Just how you look, people are always looking at you. People will always pay attention to you. And they always want to know, what is he doing that I'm not doing? Right. Right. You know, and I got, I got my rough days. Everybody, I have my rough times too, but I understand that it's going to pass. You just got to hold it together and do what you know is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And once you own that, and having a good wife, a good partner, somebody that can, at the end of the day, when you get here behind, kick at the job, when you come home and you can recharge. Home is home. It's where you recharge your battery to go back out there. But you also have to have an understanding of who you are, and you get that from your ancestors. The talents that I have in life, I didn't get that from anywhere else except my ancestors. My ability to cook, when I first started cooking, I went to culinary school, and from the first time that I got the saute pan, a chef walked up to me and said, you don't need that. You already know how to cook. I'm just here trying to get paper. And I said, yeah, there you go. But I got that from my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And she got that from her mother. And somehow it skipped over my sisters and came to me. So a lot of things just made sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the ancestors, this has been a powerful, powerful experience. I'm glad we're having this conversation. Yeah. I, could, I was coming home. I said, I can't miss this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll have this conversation again. Um, we've talked through a whole two hours. Uh, but that demonstration is critical. You can't always talk people into a change, and particularly if they're not eating the right stuff. They, they can't retain or make sense of what you're saying anyway. Uh, that really jumped out at me when I heard you say that. When I think about people who are still sort of holding on to to the old mores, the old religious practices, the old beliefs that are no longer serving them, but they just can't shake loose from that no matter what. So sometimes you can't convince them as to why, you know, I'm doing voodoo now. You can't always convince them as to why my cousin is is doing Ifa now. But when they can see your demonstration and connect that to where it matters most to them, you're much more likely to get a, a, a favorable, positive response. And then even some questions as to how that happened, how did you get there, you know, and how do I, too, you know, sort of make that 
that ship. Uh, listen, I appreciate you all. I am definitely going to have to run. I have to be over to the tomb of the unknown slave shortly so that we can handle this problem of things being desecrated and damaged. But I really appreciated this broadcast. We have to yeah. do this again. I look forward to, to meeting you all here again, Shamafia, uh, all my phone callers, Kevin, and those who, who actively participate. I'm grateful for you. And until next time, remember that all is a blessing if you can see beyond the veil. Ashe, Ashe. Thank you, Ashe. Peace be with you, Ashe. Another great broadcast. Everything went very well, so that's good. Well, that's a topic. Yeah, that's a topic I knew you could handle. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I'm I'll connect with you again shortly. Okay. All, All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio. I certainly do appreciate your listenership, your participation in the chat, and, of course, your phone calls. All is a blessing. Congo Square. The almost Indians... The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the Omus Indians, they pushed aside our host. The colonizers came and pushed aside our host and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Le Place, Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment, but nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double 
cross and capitalism the ultimate triple coup de gras cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us, our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate, a world harrowed by the beat. Be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat, heart beat, heart beat at this place, at this place, beat, heart beat, beat, we beating place in new world space. Beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music, the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. Connected together and singing, ringing, Singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be bonza music. And sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate, whip out Hello. of us. Whoa! But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, Deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade, but dark, dark 
with the people black of us in various, various, various shades, eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember. To beat, to be, beat Congo Square, be Congo Square, beat, be, beat. Remember, remember, 